Good morning. This morning's reading is going to start in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start with verse 9-11, and we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 10. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an air proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words, of a, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, and he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this, this glorious day. Thank you, Father, that we gather here to uh, make much of you, to lift up and exalt and worship your holy name. And I pray, um, Spirit of God, that you would um, just reveal to us what you want us to glean from your scripture today. I pray, God, that we would leave here more inclined to, um, to uh, lean towards you, to, um, to consider you in all of our ways, not just when it's convenient, uh, not just when we're at the end of our own resources and strength, but, God, that we would leave here as ones who are always desiring to honor and glorify you and thinking of others before we think of ourselves. So, God, please uh, make much of yourself this morning. I pray, God, that you would uh, help me stand behind your word and rather than in front of it. And may you uh, just transform us into your likeness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. We are, as, um, as Pat said, we're on the tail end of teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been in it for a couple of months. Uh, we've got just uh, several more weeks to go in this, uh, this book of delight in truth. I've titled the sermon, Wisdom is Better, but after the first service, I think I'm going to change the name of it to Leaning to the Right. Leaning to the Right. And you'll have to uh, stay tuned here to understand what I even mean by that. <clears throat> Oftentimes when I read the Bible or when I listen to a sermon, I approach it thinking about what I can learn to give to other people. I go, wow, they, they need to hear that. They need to read this. Rather than listening for what God has for me. I don't think the approach that I've been using is best. And I've recently been over conscientious about one, not wanting to miss what the Lord has for me. So today we're going to be contrasting those who say and do wise things with those who speak and act foolishly. And I want to encourage you to listen with an open heart and mind for what the Lord wants to teach you. All of us are prone towards foolishness. And it's actually easier to point out a fool than it is to look in a mirror and see the foolish deeds that we all embark upon at different times. I'm going to try to use phrases like acting foolishly rather than calling somebody a fool because we all act foolishly at times, yet many of us wouldn't be characterized as being a fool. Wisdom is misunderstood. We're often confused in thinking that wisdom is synonymous with knowledge, but the world is filled with people of great knowledge, great intellect, many degrees, yet act foolishly. We often confuse wisdom with experience, yet there are people that have vast years of experience who still are characterized as acting foolishly. And as I was looking at this passage and just examining my own life, even my own life this last week, it was really, I didn't have to think too hard or look too far back to see times when I acted foolishly through my words through my actions, and even in my thoughts. This isn't 
an acknowledgement of false humility. And I'm not making this statement because of circumstances that have not turned out well. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes we go, all right, you might say, well, I'm not a fool because the circumstances of my life have turned out to be X, Y, or Z. Sometimes we think that we can measure foolishness by the results or the outcome. And that's not the case. I want to ask you, do you characterize yourself as someone who is wise and employs wisdom or someone who acts foolishly? I want you to ponder that just for a minute. Do you characterize yourself, maybe the secondary question, do others characterize you as one who acts wisely or one who acts with foolishness? And then what criteria do you use to to answer that question? A couple of weeks ago, we covered Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We've had a number of sermons, actually, over the last few months on wisdom. As that's, it's really important to Solomon, the preacher who wrote this. But in chapter 7, Solomon told his readers that proper wisdom is found in fearing God. That's the, the beginning of wisdom is found in the fear of God. And one commentator said this, the fear of the Lord is a state of mind in which one's attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. That's wisdom. Living wisely is an outflow of fearing God. It instructs us and motivates us on how to live. The fear of God is truly the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, here's another definition. Wisdom is not simply the knowledge of something. It is the knowledge of someone, of his character, of his attributes, of his nature that inclines us to live according to his will in this fallen world. As we will see, wisdom starts with a desire to honor and glorify the Lord. Wisdom is selfless rather than self-serving. Wisdom is exercised for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. There are no guarantees that when we employ wisdom that there will be a certain outcome. But we do increase our odds for a certain outcome when we live wisely. Living wisely, you can say, increases the odds of success. There's a theological term called providential concurrence. What that simply means is that God is sovereign, that all things um, happen in, um, in relation to his providence. But somehow he concurs with or operates with our actions, providential concurrence. I don't know how it works. But he does um, use um, our actions to inform a certain outcome. It's called providential concurrence. Last Sunday, the preacher reminded us that death is a certainty for all of us. And Stephen rightly said that death for many of us is like a scary, um, unopened chest in the bottom of a dark basement stairway that nobody wants to approach and nobody wants to open. Yet death is certain for all of us, and none of us have any control over death. 
At the same time, we can live in light of death with a great hope and joy because of what and who we will meet at the end of that line as we step through that door of death into eternity. And this morning, I'm going to start with verse 11. And for those of you who are like me that are linear in your thinking, um, linear in your reading, you're going you're gonna to be frustrated today because we're not going to approach this in a linear way. We're actually going to kind of weave in and out of the verses and we're going to, um, um, we're going to be pulling common truths out, common principles, common examples to help us understand and contrast wisdom and foolishness. So let's, let's get started in verse 11. We've seen time and time again in this paradoxical book that life is vanity. That life is a mist. Life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We also have heard the preacher say um, some 20 times that life is like chasing after the wind. That it doesn't always turn out the way that we would hope. That it's, that it's hard to, to grasp what it is that God is doing. We also have seen that life is full of injustice and oppression. And if you're new to Ecclesiastes, you can go, well, that's just kind of a downer. But what the preacher speaks to are things that we ignore. The realities of the broken world that we live in. Let's start in verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. What he just mentioned is that A plus B doesn't always equal C. That, that the, the race is not won by the swift. The battle's not run, won by the strong. Bread doesn't give to the wise. Riches don't go to the intelligent, nor favor up to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to us all. What's the use? Like, if we have no control in our parenting, in our marriages, with our finances, in this economy, what's the use? Why even try? We're going to see today, we're going to get an encouragement from the preacher that wisdom is better. Even though we can't ultimately control the outcomes in our life, grabbing a hold of wisdom, operating with wisdom is always the best choice. And yes, wisdom will increase the odds of success in our endeavors. But mostly what I hope you see today, that wisdom is founding in living a life in submission to our Creator and Savior, following wherever He leads, even if where He leads doesn't seem wise to us. Humanity esteems position and might more than wisdom, especially God's wisdom. And the preacher talks about this in verses 13 through 16. I'm not going to read it. But what we have here is an example of a poor wise man who saved his city from the conquest of a powerful king and his army. And what we learn right out of the gates is that wisdom is better than might. Wisdom is better than strength. What we also learn is that this poor wise man who saved the city was forgotten and his words were actually despised. 
because he didn't have a position. One of, the, one of the challenges for me in the book of Ecclesiastes that is not such a challenge in New Testament books is context. The preacher doesn't always tell us what he's talking about. We don't know who the king is in this example. We don't know who the poor man is, is in this text. But we don't need to know. The, the, the preacher's point is, is that wisdom is what? Is better than strength. Better than might. And we're going to see this over and over again through today's text, that wisdom is better than might. And the, and the preacher isn't making a, a, a messianic prophecy necessarily, and he's not directly pointing to Jesus, but we can make a fair analogy of Jesus' saving work in verses 13 through 16. By his wisdom, Jesus delivered the lost city of fallen humanity. The devil from the beginning of time was coming against this city called earth with all the powers of hell, but Jesus delivered us from this strong man's grasp. And how did he do it? He didn't do it through what the world called wisdom. He did it through something that seemed foolish at the time. That God would become man and live a perfect sinless life and be executed and die You see, Jesus saved the city of humanity by dying on the cross and rising again. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's take a look at this passage for signs of foolishness and maybe some signs of wisdom. Let's start in verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Principle, wisdom is quiet. Foolishness shouts. The wise don't need to be heard. The wise don't need to be uh, um, right. The wise don't need to be in charge. They make a way for others to express their opinions and give input. Wisdom is gentle and meek. It seeks to understand rather than seeking to be understood. A leader in any context who shouts to be heard above others is a fool. A leader of a country, a leader of a company, a leader of a church, a leader in his home who shouts to be heard above others, is acting foolishly. And these type of leaders are prone to anger when things don't go their way. They're also prone to gossip and to vent to others rather than quietly asking for help from the Lord and wise counsel from others. Another sign in verse uh, 3, chapter 10. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. A person acting foolishly is easy to spot. He is seen walking down the road. This is an expression that indicates his lack of good sense in public. And you know what? This this type of um, foolish person that lacks sense is easier to spot today than ever. You don't have to leave your home and spot them. I mean, I've been there um, a few times, and I've been tempted to go there a hundred times. It's called social media which is today's mood ring, for those of you that are old enough to know what mood rings are. 
Somebody said after last service, some people might know more about the pet rock than they do the mood ring. It's easier to spot in our culture. Verses 10 through 11 says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. This is another sign. But wisdom helps one succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. A fool relies on his own strength and his own resources rather than the resources God has given him. And what are the resources that God has given us for wisdom? It's his word first and foremost. It's his spirit. And it's his people. A fool relies on his own strength and resources rather than God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. A foolish person hacks away working and working for the wrong reasons with the wrong resources in the wrong direction. A foolish person is seen as kicking doors down to make things happen and then asking the Lord to bless it. God, these are my plans. This is where I'm headed. Would you help me get there? Where a wise man, before he or she makes a decision, consults the word of God, is being led by the spirit of God, and gets counsel from the people of God. Another sign is seen in verses 12 through 13. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. What this, what this means, what it says, a, a, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, it means that the words of a wise man are, are, are gracious. His words do not, he does not hold back anything good. Excuse me, he does, he, he does not hold back anything that's good. He, he pours out gracious words. Where one acted foolishly, on the other hand, his words consume him or bring ruin. The foolish person doesn't hold back on his harsh words and his criticism. Think of those of us, and I put myself in this category from time to time, more times than I'd like to admit. Think of those whose talk gets them into trouble. Foolishness comes out of their mouth, and then instead of examining themselves and stopping the foolish words, they continue the pattern of evil and madness. Sometimes it would just be wise to shut up and let our actions do the talking. Especially in our marriages. Especially with people that have the Spirit of God. That we don't always have to blow people out of the water with our words. Especially those who have God's Spirit. Let the Spirit of God convict one another instead of, 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 of me acting as somebody else's Holy Spirit. Do you want to exercise more influence in your parenting? More influence in your marriage? More influence over your coworkers? Be wise. Be overly gracious with your words and be sparingly critical with your words. Another sign. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what is to be in the future, and who can tell him what will be after him? This speaks of a person that has way too much confidence in his or own, his, um, his abilities and the future. It's foolish to have an overconfidence in our understanding of the future. And I've just got to chuckle at this, is that um, I've been in, I was in the financial services for 20 years. And the primary reason I got out of it is that I was paid to be bullish. 
I think I've talked about this before. And I started reading books about, um, about doom and gloom, about people that thought the economy was going down. And the only way that I could make money in the business I was in was to be, was to be perpetually bullish. So I actually made a decision to leave that 20-year career because I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't just toe the party line all the time. I had to be an objective thinker. And I, was, um, I have a friend that just moved to town that had a um, realtor that was um, like 30-ish. And no offense to those of you that are 30-ish because you probably have more wisdom than me in certain areas. But, but he convinced my friend to buy a home, which wasn't a bad um, um, thing to do. But he said, yeah, but you, you buy a home in northern Colorado because we're, like, we're immune to the next recession and the next downturn. And I said, of course you said we're immune to that because the last time we had a recession or a downturn, you were in diapers. No one, a fool is someone who has an overconfidence of what's to come in the future. And what we're going to see next week to contrast this is that the preacher is saying, don't be paralyzed by an unknown future. Don't be paralyzed it. But through wisdom, discern the best path forward through the, the resources God has given us, his word, his spirit, and his people. We're going to talk about that more as we go through this. And, and make the best decision possible and then leave the odds up to the Lord. But don't go forward in overconfidence. There's nothing wrong with a vision or a plan for a preferred future. And thank the Lord for that because I'm characterized as a man that I'm always looking over the next hill. I don't celebrate well what happened yesterday and I'm always looking over the next hill. There's nothing wrong with a vision or plan for a preferred future as long as it's responding to God's leading. That you're not just making plans and a vision for a future and then you're asking God to bless your plans. You know what I'm talking about? We can learn much from James on this subject. And I think Stephen referred to the same passage last week. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's a plan, it's a vision. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say this. He's, he's not saying don't make plans. He's not saying don't go into the city and try to make a profit. Instead, you ought, you ought to say this. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And I want to remind you Again, that wisdom is always motivated by a desire to honor and glorify the Lord and benefit others. Wisdom is always uh, motivated by a desire to honor and glorify the Lord and benefit others. You want to know just a, a quick key if you're acting foolishly? Um, you're only thinking about what benefits you. That, that's, that's foolishness. Also, I want to remind you that there are no guarantees of a preferred outcome, even when operating with wisdom and proper motives. Living wisely increases the odds, but God is not obligated to any certain outcome. Proverbs 16.9, you know it, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
The plans are man's. The odds are God's. A few other signs of a fool are found, or the last, the last sign actually, in verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The person acting foolishly is wearied by his toil as he works his tail off with no goal or purpose and end in mind. This fool has not even considered God. And once again, the wise person asked God, what are you doing? And how do you want me to respond? The fool said, God, here's my plans. Would you bless them, please? And we're going to see in verse 18, chapter 9, and verse 1, chapter 10, a little foolishness can undo much wisdom. Yes, a little wisdom is better than the weapons of war in the same way that a poor wise man was better than a great king coming against him with many weapons. However, one sin, one miss of the mark can undo or destroy all the good and wise decisions prior to that mistake. One foolish mistake can destroy all of the prior wisdom. Wow, that's comforting. The preacher says the same thing in another way in verse 1 of chapter 10. In the same way dead flies can make beautiful smelling perfume stink, a little folly, a little foolishness outweighs wisdom and honor. And I want to give you a caution here. Wisdom is more about the process than it is the outcome. Wisdom is more about the process than the outcome. Focusing too much on the outcome will paralyze us from fear of making a mistake and we'll never move forward. We'll never do what God's asked us to do. It's important to remember that our mistakes are all covered by God's grace. And we talk about, my wife and I talk about this a lot. Um, when people ask us um, parenting um, tips, we just say it's just all God's grace. Because they should all three be in jail or homeless. It's just all God's grace. So, so employ God's resources, His Word. Be led by His Spirit. And seek the counsel of others. Understand that a little wisdom or a little folly will outdo um, any wisdom. But don't be paralyzed by that. Know that God's grace will always win out, win out in the end. And then chapter 10, verse 2. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, I want you to remember this. That wisdom starts with our desires and our inclinations. Bless you. This is foundational. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. No, that's not what it means. It has nothing to do with politics. A certain side of the aisle. There is a profound significance in God's word to, the, what, to what the right means and what, to, what to the left means. And one commentary says this. It says, in ancient Israel, the right hand connoted power and deliverance, moral goodness and favor. Hence, the place of favor was, is on the right side. The left side usually symbolized ineptness and perversity. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1611. 
You make known to me the path of life. Sounds like wisdom, doesn't it? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 17, 7. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries. Where? At your right hand. And in Jesus' parable of the judgment of the nations, we also read that the Son of Man will put the sheep at his right hand, right hand, and the goats at his left. Let me ask you this morning, as it pertains to wisdom, are you inclined to the right? Or are you inclined to the left? Leaning to the right is leaning into our gracious Savior where we find fullness of joy, where we find pleasures forevermore. It's where we find refuge in light of hard decisions. It's where we find comfort for the pain of bad decisions in circumstances that don't turn out the way that we had hoped. Ultimate wisdom is found in the way of the cross. It's dying to self. It's desiring to honor and glorify the Lord and to benefit others. What are some consequences and dangers of foolish leaders? And I want you to think through um, not only um, uh, politics and not only maybe a company that you work for, um, not only uh, the church, but even in your own home. What are the consequences and dangers of leaders acting foolishly? In verses 5 through 7, I'm not going to read it, we see an upside down picture. This is the very picture of the foolish people mentioned in verse, verse 3 who have no sense, who lack sense becoming rulers. And he acknowledges that this is all too uh, common with our leaders. And then in verses 16 through 19, we see the damage that foolish leaders can cause um, in the nations, in companies, in the church, and certainly in families. Woe to you, O land, when your king, when your leader is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Woe to you who are being led by a leader who is young and immature. And it's not talking so much about age as it is um, actions. I want you to see Solomon's prayer when God handed him David's throne. And Solomon was a young man, and he prayed this in 1 Kings 3. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon was young. He was young, but he knew to call out to the Lord to give him wisdom. He sought God in his word and through his spirit. And this this king here um, that is um, acting childlessly, 
excuse me, child, child, he's being childish. His immature leadership shows up in the irresponsible and self-serving actions of the princes. His children, if you will, who look out only for themselves by feasting in the morning rather than at the end of the day. What's wrong with feasting in the morning? Nothing gets done. It's selfish. But happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength they feast, not for drunkenness. Happy is the land where the king is a son of nobility. This isn't talking about bloodline necessarily. It's talking about a virtuous leader, a leader of character, one who is wise. And then it's saying that those he leads feast at the proper time, not for drunkenness, but for strength. They feast when their work is done. And then the immaturity, the laziness, and the self-serving nature of the king and his princes is illustrated in verses 18 through 19. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. This is a picture. The houses in ancient Israel had flat roofs. And they were covered with lime so they wouldn't leak. And they needed maintaining, periodic maintaining. And what he's saying is if the, if the house isn't maintained, if the kingdom isn't maintained, if the family isn't maintained, it will leak and it will deteriorate. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. In verse 19, bread is made for laughter, they say, the foolish king and his foolish princes. The bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. That actually sounds pretty good. I was thinking about having that plaque in my kitchen. And there is some goodness in it. It's actually irony. The foolish princes say feasts are made for laughter. They say that wine gladdens life and money meets every need and solves every problem. This is a picture of those in leadership that are so focused on having a good time that they ignore their God-given responsibility. They use the public purse for partying instead of doing what they should. They party nonstop. They're saying everything can be solved by money. I think of Dave Ramsey's great quote that that really should be um, for for all of the Western culture that we believe that we can out-earn our stupidity. We we believe that. We believe that the government believes that. They'll just keep taxing us. We believe that we can can make foolish mistakes. And wow, no harm came to me then because I keep getting raises and stock options. We think that money will answer every problem. And I want to close on this. I don't even know how I got to this point unless I skipped a couple of pages. But here we are. I want to encourage you with this. I want to encourage you with the um, with really um, five points here for you to consider. To, if you just take these home and you ponder these. Wisdom. Wisdom comes from desiring his will more than you desire your own will. Wisdom starts with a desire to honor and glorify the Lord. And then secondly, with a desire to benefit others. That's wisdom. Desire his will more than yours. Next, incline yourself to the right. That's his presence where there's fullness of joy, where there's pleasures forevermore. 
It's where we can find refuge. Incline yourself to the right. And how do you know if you're inclining yourself to the right? When you're ma- are you making decisions um, outside of the resources that God has given you? Are you making decisions, small decisions, that without seeing if it's forbidden in God's word? Are you making decisions without being led by the Holy Spirit? Are you making decisions without consulting other believers? Proverbs says that there is wisdom in the counsel of what? In the counsel of many. And this is, this is a problem um, in the church, actually, big C church, especially with us men. Because we see it weakness when we don't know the direction in leading our family, in finances, whatever means, parenting. And it's not weakness to ask, it's actually strength. So incline yourself to the right by seeking God in His Word and through His Spirit, and also seeking God's wisdom through the counsel of other believers. So second is incline yourself to the right. Number three, oh wow, number three I just talked about. Employ his resources. His word, his spirit, and his people. Fourthly, this will increase your odds of success. And can I tell you that um, that I oftentimes, we're going to be going through financial peace here, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, My wife and I have been marked by that ministry. And I think we're going to start sign-ups in a few weeks. I want to encourage you to sign up for that. Um, But but the, 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 the goal for being wise with money, for example, has nothing to do actually with the outcome. You don't act wisely with money. You don't act wisely in your parenting so that you have a certain outcome. You act wisely in those things to honor and glorify the Lord first and foremost and for the benefit of other people. Oh, and P.S., here's what happens most of the time, is that it increases your odds of success. When we're wise with money, it increases your odds of having a secure retirement, of paying for your kids' education, whatever it is you're, you're signing up for. If you want to talk to me more about that on, in private, I feel like my wife and I were pretty wise with our money, but God in His providence decided to strip, us, strip every penny away from us. Does that make Him less good? Does that make us less wise? Maybe. Not, not less good, maybe less wise. And then finally, final principle is God's grace covers it all. Don't be paralyzed. Consult His resources. Lean into Him. And then make decisions. And men, a lot of this falls on our shoulders. But don't make decisions in a vacuum. Your wives are co-leaders in the home. They have God's spirit. God's grace covers it all. You will make mistakes. And finally, I want to remind us, no matter where you're at, is that there is hope for fools. There is hope for any of us that made a mistake today or yesterday, a foolish mistake. That God's grace covers it all. Let's pray. God, we bless you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the picture of wisdom. We thank you for uh, the foolishness of the cross. 
We thank you that your ways are not our ways. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did what seemed foolish to leave the comfort of the Godhead, to be born a man in a lowly manger, to live a perfect life, a sinless life. You never miss the mark. You never acted foolishly. Yet you set your face towards the cross. You willingly took our place and you were executed. To us, to the world, that's foolishness. But God, we thank you for the foolishness of the cross. And God, I thank you for your grace that saved us and your grace that continues to sustain us. I thank you for those that have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. That we were, there was nothing that we could do that, that we could do that was wise enough or good enough to earn entrance into your family. And there's nothing that we can do that is bad enough or foolishness enough, foolishness enough to be booted out. And God, I pray that these gospel truths would motivate us to want to honor and glorify you in every action, with every word. And that you would help us think of others as more important than ourselves. And that God, would you use all of that? Would you use all of that to make us look more like Christ and to win more people to Jesus Christ? All for your good, all for your glory, and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we continue to worship.